0: Speaking of the late 70s, uh, for many of us, we have memories that are tied to hockey broadcasts. It might have been Paul Henderson's goal in 1972. Maybe it was Sidney Crosby in 2010, Mary-Philippe Poulet in Sochi in 2014. The list goes on and on and on. But when it comes to hockey broadcasts that changed my young life, I go back to 1979 in this one. 55 seconds left in the penalty minute, and 27 seconds left in regulation time. Boston for
1: Montreal three. Lafleur coming out rather gingerly on the right side
0: he gives it into LeMaire back to Lafleur hey! what could be more appropriate if anybody's gonna score for the Canadians and their gunner De Lafleur he takes that drop pass after he had initiated the play he beat Gilbert with a hard slap shot from the right side, low on the far side. Gila blur. sends his place into a frenzy again. You might remember that goal. That was the too many men on the ice penalty that Don Cherry got called on. It tied up the game between the Canadians and the Bruins. The Canadians went on to win an overtime. They went on to win another Stanley Cup in 1979, uh, beating the Rangers after that. But for me, I'd never seen the Canadians lose really at that age. And I was afraid that they were going to lose to the Bruins until the Flower came along and scored that goal with not much time left in that game. Now, imagine getting a peek behind the scenes to understand exactly how it works When it comes to broadcasting hockey on TV, the outtakes, the stories, the laughs, the challenges, the hurdles, the tears say. Well, that's exactly what a new book from John Shannon called Evolve or Die, Hard Won Lessons from a Hockey Life does, covering tales from his decades in broadcasting and particularly in hockey as the longtime executive producer of Hockey Night in Canada. And John Shannon joins me now. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Ben. Appreciate the time
0: so evolve or die it's it's a it's a it's an interesting title i've seen you use the term before, but what does it mean to you and, and what made you decide that you wanted to put this all down on paper
1: you know i I love telling stories I think some of them have some poignancy some of them have a few laughs, and somebody kept insisting that I write a book so the Evolver die is something that i I kind of adapted as my my own personal statement or, 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 or mission statement about 15 years ago. In spite of what I thought was, I was doing the right thing for lots of people, I, I kept having to change what I did and where I did it. And if I didn't change, then I wouldn't be able to have an occupation or have a profession. And so I, I, I needed to change with the times. And, and I quickly came up with that slogan and have used it over the last decade and a half to tell people, you know, yeah, I've had lots of jobs, and I've met lots of people, uh, and I hope to continue to because I keep evolving. And so if, if I didn't evolve, then I, I probably would be dead by now.
0: <laughs> Indeed. Uh, it, it does say so much, though, about just many of the things you've done, because even for something like hockey broadcasting, you really do have to evolve, right? I mean, people, have, uh, fans expect to see evolution of a of a broadcast even if they've come to to like it um, tell me about some of the stories that you decided to put down you must have had a hard time choosing amongst all the many stories over the many years
1: uh, there were some that i elected not to put in that's for sure i feel i started my career as a television person you know in broadcasting i love i love the medium of radio and television and and now there are other platforms that are constituted in in the in the broadcast industry but i think i've evolved into a hockey person too i'm not a coach i'm not a general manager but many of the people that i deal with on on a daily basis over the last five decades uh have become personal friends uh i think i've been involved in their lives they've been involved in mine and i think now more or as much as a hockey person with a hockey background than i do with a broadcasting background What I wanted to do was was to try to tell some stories about, you know, fun people in the game, people that have influenced my life, like the great Bob Cole, the great broadcaster John Davidson, who's now the president of the Columbus Blue Jackets, and and their evolution within the sport as well. So that's really how I decided to to work through some of the stories. I, I was lucky enough to meet and work alongside the hero of Lake Placid for the U.S. Olympic team, Herb Brooks and the, the rocky relationship we had for the longest period of time that ended up becoming a great friendship. And I guess you could put Glenn there on that list as well, Ben. I, I, maybe I learned more from Glenn than I realize, uh, but certainly Glenn pushed me, and in many ways only got respect from Glenn when I pushed back.
0: Yeah, it's it's a remarkable story because the in many industries you don't have as close contact with the people that you're covering or the people that you're responsible for, but in hockey it feels like there was especially given just how many how long you're in that you've been it you've been at it, uh, you've had a chance to really get to know people. I mean, I remember when John Davidson first started his career as, as a commentator and just how much better he got. Uh, You said, you mentioned something really interesting in the book that people, I don't think realize, and many people don't realize because it's, it's the same for a lot of broadcasting is just how much preparation goes into it and how the finished product is a result of a lot of work, not just sort of throwing it on air and hoping for the best.
1: Well, that's the first lesson you tell a former player when they want to say, Oh, I want to be a broadcaster. Well, are you prepared to work at it? Because you can get engrossed in the game, and when you do, you become a better broadcaster for it. This is a 24-7, 365-day life when it comes to being a broadcaster, particularly in the game of hockey that so many Canadians have a passion for, because you never know what you're gonna need to talk about. You never know who you're going to need to talk to. So you have to consistently and continually Build relationships and talk to people and, and remember things uh, in order to be able to tell a story here or tell a story on the air. It becomes a challenge, but at the same time, it really works if you have a passion for, and I was fortunate, I had a passion both for broadcasting and for hockey.
0: Yeah, that, that, that would be, uh, so you've shared a lot of good stories here. Um, I know you've shared a few of them already, but some of them jump out. There is obviously the Glenn Sather story. Uh, it involved certain close ups of him when he was behind the bench, and you insisted on showing him, <laughs> despite some protestations from him via his mom, I believe.
1: So it was a, a playoff series. I believe it was 1983 or 84. In 1983, Ben, I'm 25 years old. I've, I've been producing for three years by this point. I'm just a kid. And I remember Glenn playing for the Rangers and the Bruins and and now coaching the Oilers. And I had put these guys on pedestals in so many different ways as a fan. And now I was putting them on pedestals as a television producer. Uh, And I was walking through the arena in Edmonton one morning and about 100 feet away, somebody's yelling at me. And I turn around and it is Glenn Sather. And and he... he proceeds to give me heck because we're showing him on the air too many times when you can read his lips and he's swearing and not only that but is now his mother who lives in high river alberta is is giving him heck for swearing too much on television so he tells me stop shooting me on television and i said glenn i can't stop shooting you on television that's stupid i mean if i can see you in the seats at the coliseum why can't i see you on television uh and if you choose to swear that's your problem not mine you know that if the Oilers get a penalty or they get a goal against, uh, we're going to shoot you because you're the coach, and we're going to, you know, force the story. How is Glenn Saylor going to make change in order to get his team back uh, on the winning track or to kill the penalty? So that's just part of the process of telling a story on television, and you're, you, Glenn, are going to be seen. So we we get into a rather heated argument about this, and now he's not 100 feet away. He's 50 feet away, and now he's 10 feet away. and. Finally, I turn to him and then and use expletives against him, at which point he stops, he smiles, and he walks away. Because he, he had pushed me to my limit, and now I was pushing back. And I think in so many ways, Glenn Sather finally realized, hey, this guy's okay. And we've been friends ever since that day. He and his wife Annie were great to me when, we, when I worked in New York for the National Hockey League. Talked to him last week. He got my son tickets to a Ranger game. I I guess I had to prove myself to Glenn Sather before he realized that, hey, this guy knows what he's talking about.
0: Yeah, John, I'm thinking that could have gone either way, but I'm glad it went this way. John, another interesting story that you share in the book as well is uh, the 79 Stanley Cup finals. I gather uh, the prime minister at the time, Pierre Trudeau, a Habs fan, uh, wanted to be in the dressing room, but it was also during an election, so there was no way you could put him on camera.
1: Ben, as you know, in our country, the, there, there are fairness doctrines and fairness laws that if you shoot one candidate for a political job, you have to shoot the other leader of the other party. So that year, in 1979, was a rather patriotic political campaign between Pierre Trudeau and Joe Clark's Conservative Party. And it just so happened that Game 5 of that Stanley Cup final occurred the night before the election. And on that night, Pierre Trudeau shows up at the old Montreal Forum We can't even show him on television because if we show him, then, you know, the Conservatives are going to say that's not fair. Uh, You have to give us time to show Joe Clark, and heaven knows what province or what city Joe Clark was in at the time. So one of my jobs after the game is over, Canadians have won the Stanley Cup. The celebration is going on in Canadians' dressing room, and we're in the old weight room at the back of the dressing room doing interviews. Dick Irvin is our our host of the interviews, and he's talking to players – celebrating, they're half-dressed, they're spreading champagne all over the room. Uh, And I turn and look, and out of my corner of my eye, I see a a PR flack from the PMO. I see uh, a CSIS agent, and there he is, in, in all his splendor, the Right Honorable Pierre Elliott Trudeau. The only way to get by to the dressing room is to walk through our shot. You know, I've been told in no uncertain terms by my boss, Ralph Melamy, that Mr. Trudeau cannot be on television. So I tell the PR Flack he can't be on television, I tell the CSIS agent he can't be on television, and finally, I say, Mr. Prime Minister, I'm sorry, but you know the rules of of our country. You cannot be seen without showing Joe Clark. So the only way you're going to get to the dressing room right now, sir, is if you crawl along the floor. And there's a pause, and next thing you know, there he is with the PR Flack, with the CSIS crawling along the floor below the knees of Dick Irvin, and I believe he was talking to Bob Ganey at the time, to get into the dressing room to celebrate with, with the Montreal Canadiens hockey team.
0: <laughs> they had just beaten John Davidson and the, and the Rangers, ironically, if I remember back far enough to 1979. Um, You're very good, uh, think, Ben.
1: You're very I good. Was, you know your was, hockey history.
0: I was watching that game in Montreal. I was. That's where I grew up. Um, Speaking of growing up in Montreal, you know, watching Hockey Canada, Hockey Night in Canada evolve over the years. Obviously, I can't not ask you about Don Cherry because he was such an integral part of the show for so long, and then the way it all stopped and ended. Um, was that always difficult for you just to try and figure out how to make him work? He was clearly popular, but controversial. Was that tough? Was that a tough part of your gig?
1: Difficult. I don't think it was difficult. I, I think you had to meet it square on uh, as a producer, as a, a planner, an organizer was to be able to diffuse scenarios and situations. The other challenge with Don is to try to make it look like his idea. So if there was something controversial that was gonna be talked about, uh, it probably took a couple of cups of black Tim Hortons coffee. Uh, we don't live very far apart. We live about 10 minutes by car apart. And to drive over and sit in on a Thursday or a Friday morning and talk this out, what's gonna happen, what are you gonna say? And we'd probably have the same conversation Saturday afternoon uh when don's in the makeup chair getting made up for the show i i I loved being with don i i understood i think i understood don and i i think when you look back and you think of the controversial stuff he said i don't think much of it was said in the time that i was on the program and so it would be in in, incorrect and uh, improper for me to comment on that
0: Uh, John, when you look back then, no regrets, right? It's been, it sounds like it's been um, a lot of work, but a a lot of memories too.
1: Ben, the toughest thing in the 46 years I've been in the industry was to write this book. Everything else was fun. I joke that, you know, I have played in the sandbox of sports television for five decades. I was blessed to work and be part of things that I had a passion for. Did I make a lot of mistakes? I made a ton of mistakes. I'd like to think I learned from those mistakes. I think, you know what, I'd like to think I evolved with those mistakes. Uh, and that, to me, is part of the story that uh, that I've tried to tell.
0: And thus the name of the book. John Shannon, uh, congratulations once again. Thank you so much for your time tonight.
1: Oh, thank you for the time, Ben. Have a great day.